Well, take out your Bibles and your message outlines. We're going to dig into the Word of God today. I have a message called Blessings in Disguise. I have learned that in my life, some of the most difficult times in my life were actually blessings in disguise. Some of the times when I felt in my life that I experienced these setbacks were actually God setting me up for a blessing. That it's in the setbacks, it's in the valleys, it's in the storms of life where God uses those to develop me as a man, develop my character, develop my spiritual growth and even my trust in God. And sometimes what you think is a disappointment, maybe you're in one today, is actually God preparing you for a blessing. Sometimes when God brings you to a dead end, it's because he wants you to experience a new beginning. You could lose a job or it could be a relationship. Sometimes those dead ends are because God has a blessing in a new beginning. And so those trials that you went through, you would never become everything that God wants you to be without going through those trials. Think about it. David would not have become king without Goliath. And Goliath wasn't there to defeat David. Goliath was there to promote David. There would be no resurrection without a crucifixion. And what the devil uses to try to destroy you, God uses to anoint you. And in the Bible, there's this guy named Joseph. Somebody say Jojo. And Joseph was a fascinating man who experienced a lot of valleys, a lot of hardships, most of which he did not bring on himself. Because you know there's two types of storms that we go through. A lot of them we created ourselves. And then there's other ones that we don't create, but we still have to go through those storms. In Joseph's case, he didn't create the storms, but he still had to live through the storms. And the Bible says... He had 11 brothers, but his daddy, Jacob, whose name is also became Israel, which is where we get our nation, Israel. The Bible says that Jacob loved Joseph the most. I mean, no, that's pretty messed up as a parent, you know? He loved Joseph the most. And because he loved Joseph the most, his brothers hated him, and they were jealous of him. And they hated him and were so jealous that they talked about killing him. You know, one of the secrets I've learned in life is that some of the people that you think don't like you, it's not that they don't like you. They're just jealous of the blessings of God in your life. They're just blessed, uh, jealous of the things that God has blessed you with and favored you with. And so to add fuel to the hate fire... Joseph had these dreams, two dreams that God gave him. And in both of those dreams, he dreamed that he was over his brothers and that his brothers bowed down to him. And then he thought it a good idea to tell them that. <laughs> it's another thing I've learned about life is sometimes when God gives you a dream, sometimes when you have these crazy, wild, powerful dreams, you can't just go tell everybody because not everybody's ready 
to hear the dream. Have you ever been around somebody where you had a great idea? It was a good idea. Man, it was like, I'm going to start a new business. And you told somebody and they thought of every reason possible why it wouldn't work. Dream killers. You know, people aren't ready for the dream. And so you have to protect those visions that God gives you. But Joseph's brothers, they were so mad that they took him out and they threw him in a pit and left him to die. They wanted to kill him. Only one brother, Reuben, was like, yo, don't you think that's kind of like dramatic, man? I like, we're going to kill our bro. Like, I know we hate him and I know daddy loves him the most. Joseph didn't even deserve this. He didn't do anything wrong. His dad did. If anything, hate the dad, but nah, they hate Jojo. And then they decide, you know what? Let's not kill him. And they pull him out of the pit and they sell him to the Ishmaelites. And the Ishmaelites, in return, they sold him to Potiphar. All of this was a setup. All of this was God's blessing in disguise. All of this was about preparing Joseph for his future and the plan that God had for him. And his future plans would not have come to pass without this. And I love the Bible because it's so detailed and specific. It says that Joseph was well built and handsome. And so I was wondering if there were any like pictures in, you know, like theological books. Because, you know, sometimes they sketch up like what Moses looked like and and, you know, Jesus, it's always a white dude because we're in America and America thinks that everybody in the Bible was white. And so, but I did find a picture of what Jojo looked like. And so here it is, if, uh, if you've never seen this before. It's well-built and handsome. I don't know why that's so funny. It's just, I just took my shirt off. We snapped a pic, you know, but... But then the Bible says that Potiphar's wife, so Joseph starts to live with Potiphar in his mansion, and he's helping Potiphar, who's a very powerful man in Egypt. But then it says that Joseph, uh, Potiphar's wife took notice of him. She was like, oh, yes, Jojo is hot. And the Bible says that one day when Potiphar left, she went to Joseph and she's like, Jojo, sleep with me, baby boy. You are well-built and handsome. And Joseph refused. He said, I could never sin against God like that. I would never sin against my God like that. And the Bible says that she kept going and going every day, it says, she would ask him, to come sleep with him. And he kept saying no. And one day she grabbed him by the coat and said, sleep with me, Jojo. And the Bible says that he ran and left his coat behind. Sometimes when temptation is knocking, you just got to turn and run and get the heck out. And he leaves his coat in her hands. And then she accused him to Potiphar of rape. And said, he tried to rape me. Doesn't this sound like America? This sounds like a Jerry Springer show or something like that. This is crazy. So now Joseph gets thrown in prison and spends the next 10 years of his life in prison. But it was a setup. 
See, it was God's plan all along to prepare him for what he had in store for him. And I love in the Bible in Genesis chapter 39. This is not in your outline. We haven't even got to that yet. It's going to be a long sermon today. It says, while Joseph was in prison, the Lord helped him and was good to him. And I love that verse because it means that even when you're going through hell in life, you can be surrounded by heaven in life. I love it because even when man or when the world does you wrong, God always does you right. And so Joseph was in prison. He had the gift of interpreting dreams. So his inmates would have these dreams. Be like, yo, I wonder what that meant. And Joseph would say, I tell you what it means. Word got out that Joseph could interpret dreams. And one day, the top in command, Pharaoh, had a dream. He knew there was meaning to it. He didn't know what it was about. And he heard about Joseph. So he went to Joseph. The dream was interpreted. And then Pharaoh pulled him out of prison and appointed him to be the governor over all of Egypt. This was what God was preparing Joseph for. And then when the story comes full circle, a famine hits the land. And there's a massive food shortage. And Joseph's brothers, whom he had not seen in 20 years, travel to Egypt to ask for food that Joseph stored up, and guess who's handing out the food? Joseph. Now he has a decision to make. Do I take revenge or do I forgive? And he chose to forgive. Let's get to your outlines because in Genesis chapter 50, this is a powerful stance he takes. He says, you tried to harm me, but God made it turn out for the best. See, the devil can try all he wants to take you down, to knock you down. He can, all hell can come against you, but nothing will stand against God's divine plan for your life. And so today I want to give you three things to remember when you go through hell, when you go through those times in your life that are difficult, the valleys, the storms of life. Number one, if you're taking notes, write this down. I need to remember that God is in control. God is in control. Say that with me. God is in control. He is in total control. He is in absolute, complete control. Listen, if God went to sleep for a second, if he, you know, he just like, whoops, I lost control of the universe for a split second, the whole place would blow up. I mean, the sun would probably fall out of the sky. The stars would start flying around. Gravity would reverse and we'd all float into the air. And God knows where. If God wasn't in control for just a millisecond, but he is in control. And he's always been in control. And when life seems like it's spinning out of control, I need to remind myself that God is still on the throne. God is still in complete control of my life, of my situation let me tell you this, your situation, no matter what you've gone through, no matter what you're going through, or no matter what you will go through, because you will go through them, it never takes God by surprise. It's not like he's like, yo, whoa, whoa, Moses, come here. 
Did you see they're going through a divorce? Nothing takes him by surprise. He sees the beginning from the end. He knows the future. I want you to look at Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 with me. It's a great couple of verses. He says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. And this is a great verse. It's really a three-point sermon in one set of scriptures. You could come up with an entire message, maybe a message series on this on this simple two verses in Proverbs. He says, number one, trust in the Lord. Trust in God. That's what we're talking about today. That I put my trust in him, not myself. Trust in God. Trust him with my life. Maybe you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's the beginning stage. I trust you with my life. But I also trust you with my circumstance. I trust you with my valleys. I trust you with my hardships, with my trials. So he says, trust in God. And then the second thing he says is lean not on your own understanding. Don't lean, don't depend on your own understanding, your own thinking. See, the the bottom line is is that the human mind is, is limited. I know there's some very educated people in here. You know, some of you have you know, double degrees, triple degrees, and, you know, PhDs, and who knows what, very intelligent. Scottsdale's a very intelligent, uh, very well-educated community. Even amongst the most educated, there is a limit to the human mind. The human mind is finite. God is infinite. It's hard to understand God, and therefore we understand only what we understand. We have limits. God has no limits. God knows the beginning from the end. God is the beginning and the end. The Bible says he is the alpha and the omega. You and I can only see what's in front of us. God can see a year down the road, five years down the road, 500 years down the road. He knows how your life and how the situation that you're in today will impact humanity a thousand years from now. It's like a domino effect. You think maybe your life is insignificant, but the life you live is going to influence generation after generation after generation, whether you mean it to or not. And so we don't lean on our own understanding. It's limited. I love this verse in Jeremiah 17, 9. He says, the heart, which is the mind, the heart is deceitful above all things. And beyond cure, he says, who can understand it? How many can ever remember a time in your life when your mind has deceived you? Anybody? Can you, can you remember a time? Like you thought that was the best idea in the world, and then you found out that was the worst idea. Let me see your hands. Some of you, you married them. You're sitting right next to them right now. You're like, that, I thought that was such a good idea. And now I'm into this thing, and I'm like, dear God. Right? It happens all the time. The human mind deceives us. It's like when we were approaching Y2K. And we're like, oh my God, the computer systems of the world are going to shut off. We're not going to be able to buy groceries. Our neighbors are going to turn on us. You know, I said last week, I'm still eating tuna from 2000, you know. I'm prepared. I have ammunition. I could blow the universe up. I'm ready. 
If my neighbor come and try to get my tune, I smoke them from the top of my house. I'm ready. And then it turned 2000 and nothing happened. Our own minds can deceive us. And he's saying, look, the heart, it's deceitful. Man, it can lead you down bad paths. Don't believe even your own heart. Don't believe it. It can deceive you. So I trust in God. I don't lean on my own understanding. And then I submit to him. That means I give him my life. I trust him with it. And I walk in the word of God. I'm obedient to the word of God. Maybe today you feel like Joseph. You know you're in a valley. Maybe you didn't bring it upon yourself. I want to tell you, there will be a day when you can look back and say, that was a blessing in disguise. I didn't know it at the time, but I thank God for that situation in my life. I'm sure Joseph struggled with his situation. Like, why do my brothers hate me? Why do my brothers want to kill me? I didn't do anything. My dad did it. Lord, why did I end up in this pit? I didn't do anything. God, how did I end up in prison? I didn't do anything. I'm innocent. I did nothing wrong. But instead, you have to depend on God. Your own understanding, it leads to worry. It leads to fear. It leads to doubt. It leads to unbelief. It leads to stress. So I depend on God. One day, Jesus was teaching his disciples and In Matthew 6, he talks about worry. And I want you to write this down because it's the same exact thing is found in Luke chapter 12. So these two passages, Jesus, he teaches about worry. He could have just said, don't worry, but he elaborates. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or about your body, Scottsdale, Arizona. Did you see that in parentheses? Don't worry about what you will wear. Is life not more important than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow, they don't reap, they don't store away in barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they are? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? In Luke 12, it talks about the flowers of the field and how they're clothed in more beauty than even Solomon and all of his wealth. And yet God cares for us so much more than the birds of the air and the flowers of the field. And he says, don't worry. He says, instead, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. How many know that's the truth? So he says, don't worry. God's your provider. God's your source. He's your resource. He's your strength. He is your hope. He is your foundation. Listen, man will always let you down, but God will always pick you right back up. In Philippians 4, he says, God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory. So the first thing to remind myself is that God is in total control. Number two is that God has a plan for my life. And this is important because I know a lot of people, they go to church, they love Jesus Christ, they love the Bible, and they read the Bible, but they don't know what God's plan is 
for their life? What's God's purpose for their life? Listen, you will never feel more fulfilled in life than when you discover what you were born for and you begin to walk in it. When you discover why you exist, God has a plan for your life. He has a purpose for your life. In fact, before you were born, he had a plan and a purpose for your life. Now listen, the plan of God for your life, your purpose in life is not to be comfortable. It's not even to be happy. It's not to be rich. It's not to be successful. Your purpose is not to build a great business. It's not to build accolades. It's not to be popular. It's not to be liked. Your purpose is so much bigger than that. Your purpose in your existence, it will, if you walk in it, impact eternity forever. Eternal is forever. Let me give you a couple thoughts about your purpose. Your purpose, first and foremost, is to know God. To know Him. That you were born on purpose for a purpose. And the first and foremost thing is to know God. To understand that I was made for my Creator. The second purpose that you have is to grow in Him, to grow spiritually mature in Christ. The third one is to serve Him. How many of you were here last weekend? Let me see your hands. Okay, let's do it the opposite. How many were not here? Let me see your hands. Raise them high like you don't, you know, you're like, yeah, I'm proud I wasn't at church. Raise it, raise it. Let me see it. Let me see it. Okay, it's a good amount of you. Last week, I talked about serving in the local church. You will never grow as fast as God wants you to grow until you start serving in the local church. Serve. God wants you to be involved. It's not enough to believe in Jesus Christ, but we also need to belong to the family of God. Okay, Look at somebody right now and tell them, you belong to me. Tell them, go ahead. You belong to me. You belong to me. And I belong to you. So God wants us to serve him, to serve him. If you, uh, last week we had about 100 people that don't serve uh, sign up to serve at Impact Church. About 100 people. I mean, come on, let's give them a round of applause because this church does not exist without the volunteer servants of the Most High, the Dream Team. It doesn't exist. We could not have church, do church, be the church like we do without our volunteers. So today, if you you aren't serving in the church, I want to encourage you when you leave in the lobby, Erica will be there, her team will be there with the dream team. They have a lot of information, a lot of different ways that can get you plugged in. But that's one of your purposes is to serve. Did you know that it's not only my job to build the kingdom of God? Did we know that? Like every person is really a pastor. You have people in your lives that I don't know. You could help them in their life, walk with them, share Jesus. And that's the fourth purpose of all of our lives is to give Jesus to the world. 
The very last words that Jesus said before he ascended. Now, imagine this. Jesus dies. He rises again. He appears to over 500 people. He goes to his disciples and he's like, yo, I'm leaving. But what I want you to do is I want you to take this gospel everywhere to go into the world and make disciples of all nations. This was not a, a, a suggestion. <laughs> this was a, a command. It's called the, in the Bible the great commandment. Take Jesus to the world. If those 12 disciples did not do that, you and I wouldn't be here today. They were all martyred for the cause of Jesus Christ. So God wants you to serve him, but he wants you to give Jesus to the world. Let me, let me ask this question, and you can answer it on your own. Have you ever led somebody to Jesus Christ? Have you ever led somebody to the Lord? Have you ever contributed to heaven? Are your friends, family members, going to go to heaven and be in heaven one day? And if so, is it because of your life? Is it because of your life, the words you said, the gospel you shared, the life you live? Does your life reflect Christ so much that people look at that life and they go, man, there's something different. There's something different about that person. There's just something different. And I don't know what it is, but I want it. That's part of your goal. That's part of your life's purpose. I, I shared this in the past about these two Somali Muslims. This is a true story. It's happening right now in the days as we speak. These two Somali Muslims were transporting a dead body in a casket from Kenya into Somalia. The body's been dead for three days. And these Muslim guards, they've got weapons transporting this body, but Inside the cas casket is not just this dead body, but underneath of the dead body is another body, but that body is living. Can you imagine climbing underneath of a dead body that's been dead for three days inside of a casket and laying under it and riding in a truck, in the back of a truck from Kenya to Somalia? And here's the reason is that this man was a missionary and he's smuggling Bibles into Somalia because you can't do that publicly. You can't worship Jesus publicly because you'll be killed. You can't own a Bible. You'll be killed. You can't own a page of a Bible. You'll be killed. This is in 2020. And so there are people that are so in love with Jesus Christ that are so passionate about fulfilling the will of God that they're willing to hide under dead bodies to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because they know that no Muslim would ever crack open a casket. No Muslim would for sure ever look under or touch or move a dead body. It kind of makes me think about us in the United States. Boy, we got it bad, don't we? Life is really hard. Man, the U.S. is just falling all to hell. Come on, man. It makes me think that, man, here in America, we're just gluttons 
for stuff, for material, for money, for success. We're gluttons for popularity. We're gluttons to have this comfortable life. But your purpose is not to be comfortable. Your purpose is to help populate heaven. Your purpose is to help bring hope, peace, and joy to people on earth. Somebody's horn's been going off for about 15 minutes. You might just click it, see if it's yours. I don't know. Or just let it. It's fine. Tell you, ADHD is no joke, boy. Derail you in a hurry. (laughs) One of my prayers for my life is in Acts 13, and I love this, what it says. It says, for David served God's purpose in his own generation, and then he died. I love that. It's one of my life verses, a prayer for my life. And Travis served God's purpose in his own generation, and then he died. Paul said, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Like, God, let me serve you until I die. Let me serve you until I can't serve you anymore, and then take me home. That's my purpose. You know, some people talk about retirement, the American way. We've screwed a lot of things up, but one of the things we've screwed up is retirement. There's no such thing in the Bible as retirement. Did you know that? The Bible never says work until a certain age, save up a lot of money so you can play golf and you can drink iced tea and you can play shuffleboard with your old homies. But in the American way, we're like, oh boy, I can't wait till I'm whatever age. You know, when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ, there is no retirement. You work till you die. I hope one day I'm like 99 years old up here preaching my heart out until I can't do it anymore and then I just drop dead. Don't worry, I'll still be wearing my Yeezys, you know. 99 Yeezys, years old. And the third thing to remember is this, is that God's ways are sovereign. You know, people say all the time, God works in mysterious ways. They say it so much, it's almost like it's a Bible verse. God works in mysterious ways. And he does. But I really like the word mysterious. I'd rather use the word sovereign. So maybe we could change the rest of the world for, you know, the next, I don't know, thousand years. Let's just say God works in sovereign ways. And the reason I like the word sovereign is because it's so much bigger and so much deeper and so much wider than mysterious. Because sovereign means that God is in control. It means that he is all powerful. It's powerful ways. It's miraculous ways. It's holy ways. It's anointed ways. It's intentional ways. He is sovereign. And so no matter what you're going through, understand that God knows The why's behind the what's. There's a purpose for every problem. There's a purpose for every pain. In Isaiah 59, the Bible says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God is saying, You have to trust me because my ways are bigger than your ways. 
I can see further down the road. I know some things you don't know. We may not understand it. We have to trust that he does. It's like when you were a kid. Remember when you were a child and you wanted to do something or you wanted something so bad, but your mommy, daddy didn't let you do it? Does anybody ever remember anything like doing that? I do. You wanted to do something so bad and your mama was like, nope, you're not doing it. And you thought, man, mama is a killjoy. She's just killing. She's trying to like box me in from having a fun time. She just don't know. Right? I remember when I was 13, I uh, was at home alone. My mom was at work. And I was supposed to do some schoolwork, but I didn't have my school books. They were at home at school. So I thought, how am I going to go get my school books when my mom's not here? I know my mom would want me to do my homework, for sure. So I decided it was a good idea to take her car for a drive. I was 13. Found the keys, jumped in that car. See, back in the old days, especially if you grew up in a small town atmosphere, you know, you were driving by the time you were six. This is like, this is fine, man. I know how to drive. Mom would be proud. So I did. I drove to school, got my school books, drove back home, parked that thing like nothing ever happened. She came home and said, you've been driving my car. I said, how'd you know? She said, because my friend saw you <laughs> driving down the road and told me. Why would you drive my car? Travis, you're 13. You could go to jail for that. You could get arrested for that. I didn't hear any of that. All I heard in my own head was, I needed my homework. I know how to drive. It's a great idea. And so it's the same way with God as it sometimes say, God, I don't understand this, but he does. God, I don't understand why you would let this happen, but he does. God, I don't understand why you would not let this happen, but he does. And so we have to trust in God. Look at Romans 8, 28 with me. He says, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. Does anybody love God today, Impact Church? Anybody love him? If you love God, it's for you. That all things are going to work together for the good of those who love him and to those who are called according to his purpose, which is every one of us in here. Jesus said in Matthew 5, you're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. That doesn't sound like a blessing. When you're at the end of your rope, when all hope is gone, when you're back up against a wall, when you're at the edge of the Red Sea and the enemy's coming after you and there's no way forward, when you're hanging on to the bottom of the rope, he says you're blessed. You're blessed when you're at the end of the rope. And then he gives us the why. He says with less of you, there's more of God and his rule. I love this verse. Last week, if you were here, for those of you that missed and you only come every now and then, let me speak to you. Last week, I spoke about a theme verse for 2020. This is my prayer for all of us, me, you. Theme verse is John 3.30. You're going to see this a lot this year. John 3.30, it simply says he must increase, but I must decrease. That's my prayer. God, more of you, less of me. More love in me. More patience in me. More generosity in me. 
God, more of you inside me, less of me. One of the ways you can have more of God in your life, and I said this last week, is when it comes to church and the church family, the more you go, the more you grow. The more you go, the more you grow. Listen, don't miss church. You can miss a day of work. You can miss your homie's birthday party. You can miss out on five rounds of golf. You can miss out on a football game. You can miss out on jet skiing at the lake. You can miss out on all kinds of stuff, but don't miss out on church. Because the more you go, the more you grow. The more you go, the more you grow. And it's not enough to go on Sundays. You got to get plugged in to the body of Christ. Get connected to the family of God. The more you go, the more you grow. See, Jesus says, yes, believe in me. Believe in me. And you will have eternal life. So you say, I believe. But it doesn't stop there. We also belong. You need to believe in God and belong to his church. Belong to the body of Christ. This last Wednesday for our small group Bible studies, we had record-breaking attendance. Record-breaking attendance. It was absolutely incredible this last Wednesday night. We started our spiritual growth campaign, 30 Days with God. If you haven't joined us, you can grab a book today out in the lobby. It's a campaign. We just started it last week. Not even, uh, it's four days old. The more you go, the more you grow. The more connected you are, the more protected you are. Have you ever seen a redwood tree? I've been up to Northern California and I've just seen these massive redwoods. If you've never seen a redwood tree, they can grow up to 350 feet in height. They are massive. They can grow up to 20 feet in diameter. That is a big tree. But did you know that redwood trees, their roots aren't very deep? They go down about five feet. And I started thinking like, how can a redwood tree that is so tall and wide and heavy withstand the winds, the storms, the earthquakes without falling over? And the answer is in its root system. Although the roots aren't deep, they travel 100 feet away from the trunk. And what it does is all these redwood trees' roots intertwine with one another. The roots are connected. They're intertwined. No storm is going to bring those trees down because they're connected. It's the same thing with the family of God. The storms of life come. If you're not connected, you become a tumbleweed Christian. You got to be connected. Years ago, I watched this film and it showed these lions attacking this elephant or these elephants. But the elephants know if we just stick together, we're safe. They won't even try to attack us if we stay together. And so the elephants ain't even worried. They just walking slow-mo. We're fine. We're together. But see, the lion has incredible patience. It has incredible stamina. And it's just walking too, following those elephants. And eventually morning turns to night. And the elephants start to get tired. They're getting fatigued from all this walking. 
And then in the middle of the night, elephants have really bad night vision, but lions can see incredible in the nighttime. And eventually one of those elephants starts to separate from the pack and the lions run in and they attack the one who separated. That's what it's like in the family of God. The Bible says that the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. But if you're with the family of God, you're protected. 